Not only is it deeply fulfilling to make podcasts that bring new perspectives on society to folks, with Anchor, it's incredibly simple. It's a free podcast host with tons of creation tools that help make cut and polished podcasts straight from your phone or computer. Anchor makes podcasting simple. They distribute your work to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other major platform distributors. They come with a built-in advertising system so you can make money without a minimum listenership. It's got everything you need to make a fantastic podcast in one place. So go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello and welcome to Deconstruct. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci. There are many myths in American society that are causing us to act against our own interests, and Deconstruct's goal is to shed light and give clarity on these myths. Together, we'll trace the origins of the myths our society has forgotten the history of. We'll follow the money trail of the people and institutions who benefit from these myths, and we'll study together how each myth changed the way our world works. Our goal is to equip a listener with a multitude of lenses to see each myth with a fresh perspective and give them the power to reach their own conclusions. In today's episode, we continue our series on unearthing and unraveling the myths that create toxic masculinity. I sit down with my friend Tobias James Tusignan, a Filipino non-binary human to talk about masculinity from both the cis and trans perspective. We talk about Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling, education and kids' accessibility to learning, why women is sometimes spelled with an X, and a myriad of stories and experiences. Trans visibility, patriarchy's relationship to violence, and the way that insecurity fuels male violence are coming up soon. You won't want to miss it. Tobias, Tej, dear buddy of mine, I'm so grateful that you are coming down to talk about your experience and share your insights on Deconstruct. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. It's a Tuesday, I think. It's a Tuesday in 2020, and honestly, I'm pretty sure for most people, that's going to feel like a lot of other days. Yeah, uh, what is time anymore, huh? It's just a construct. Ah, it just—it's got especially nebulous and blob-like, and it feels like this jello in the back of my fridge that's just not getting any prettier any sooner. Yeah, it is. It's—it's it's a wild time to be alive. I think we just kind of have to see the silver lining in the situation and just kind of roll with the punches mm. at this point because I think that. Yeah. There's, I think, growth in, growth in the human race is never going to be not painful, and right. growth is never easy or painless. So mm. I think as, as humans as a whole in the entire, our society is going through a period of growth, and I love it. Do you have any silver linings that you're finding yourself able to hang on to through this? Um, yeah, I think that people are taking the time to educate themselves about a lot of things that were not previously discussed before, mm. um, especially with the BLM movement, and which has been going on since like 2000, I think for a long time, 
2016, yeah. I think, is when they originated the actual official BLM movement. Right. And then there were all of the different incidents that happened of mothers just getting together to fight on behalf of their sons that had been killed. And you're right. I, I remember Mike Brown in 2014, I think. But then Black Lives Matter really formed in 16. Yes, I think it sparked a lot. But we finally... We I didn't I, I'm sorry that it had to come to this point for us to be Me able too. to openly discuss. Right. But I think that the conversations that we're having are needed, if not overdue. Yeah. The tolerance of violence that this country has before it begins to start learning its collective lessons shocks and abhors and astounds me. Yes. It's kind of horrifying. It is. It's it's a lot of push to come to shove, and I wish we we just had the open dialogue. But again, yeah. growth is never easy or painless. True. And at the same time, we're here. We're doing yeah. the thing right now. We're yeah. live, baby. Yes, I'm about and that's it. That's really cool. So, um, I guess I don't know where you want to start. Right. Well. To start, uh, I would love to hear about this marvelous human that I, is guesting right now. Could you tell me your full name and uh, the synopsis of the life that you want to articulate to the listeners? Sure. Tell us your story. I am, well, my name is Tobias James Tuzignat. I am... 29 years old, a month shy from being 30, and I'm so excited for being 30 because I've never looked better. Um, let's see, I am a Filipino, transgender, queer, uh, identifying person. I don't know, it's like so long, it's like first of his name, mm. father of many cats, past, I don't know. Um, yeah. I generally love to perform slam poetry um you can find me at your local coffee shop because that's what my gym jam and i enjoy <laughs> i enjoy boys tattoos and food <laughs> i love that yes i'm a pretty simple guy mm. there's a lot of beauty in being able to appreciate the simple facets of life the i think that so. i had, wish i had a little more of and when i look at your aesthetic i, I find that really fulfilling and beautiful a quality about you thank you you're quite beautiful yourself so we can be beautiful together so ah, i love it i like your vin and your verb honestly i think the first time we <laughs> hung out i think the first time we hung out we went to a park i took you to the congressional park mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i remember this so distinctly because it reminded me of how youthful you were <laughs> um, wow. because you looked at me and you're like I'm going to go sprint up that cliff right there. And I was like, <laughs> girl, you real going to do that. And you were just like, absolutely. And then you just literally booked it and then ran yep. up the cliff and you're like, this is great. And I'm like, I really like this. <laughs> That's so I know you were just like, this is, this is freaking amazing. And I'm just like, yeah. I was like, you know what? I like this kid. I like this kid a lot because one, I can't do that because I have to work tomorrow. And two, y'all do the thing. Oh my god, I'm getting so 
it's amazing. I, I can literally hear myself doing that. I'm, I'm blushing so hard about that. Yeah, you literally like climbed up that cliff in about two minutes and I was like, oh, I do not have the energy and my back is already hurting. Oh my God, he is so young. I remember when I was that extra. <laughs> I was like, oh boy. If I had the energy, I'd be right up there with you, but I'm just going to stay down here while it's safe. <laughs> Time has definitely changed a bit of that for me. Jeez Louise, I wish I was. How as was that a couple of years ago? It was, I think, around two years ago. Yeah, so we were about, so I was about 26. And you yeah, know. you were. You, I remember you j- like had just gotten, I think it was a new car, and you were super stoked about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Great. Life young, nubile, <laughs> 24 ah. year old. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, but yes. 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 Full of full of so much energy. I had so much respect for that. Ah, shucks. I was I was a spring chicken. Now I'm an old twenty-four year old goat. Oh my god, you are still a baby. Prep me for the coffins. Let's come on. It's okay. You're you're well well-adjusted 24-year-old. Ah, thank you. Oh, I'll tell you, uh, the, the process of getting well-adjusted with it, uh, wow, what turmoil that was. Oh, I bet. We've all been through it. I think this whole year mm-hmm. is aging everybody about 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, June was a difficult year. Yes. March? That was that was a full election term, wasn't it? Yeah. Oof. Oh my God! It, it it feels like I feel like I feel like I am like a pre-presidency Barack Obama versus a post-presidency. I'm not gonna forgive any of the war crimes or advocate who he was. He did have a nice voice, but did a lot of not good stuff. Not a fan, but. I just feel like that change of how great and age that man got like a fine cheese. I would say, I mean, I would definitely preserve, I would prefer his administration over the current one. Most it's definitely. true. I miss having a president that I had even a shred of respect for. Exactly. Yeah. I, there, there's no respecting um, pasty ass Cheeto man. I remember when he first got elected and I was like, what, him and his 50 million Death Eaters? Aye, 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 aye. And I meant that as a joke, but now not so much. I would say we're pretty much at that point in the Deathly Hallows today where yeah. the Dementors are all flying around. Yeah, you know, that it's really special that we get to reclaim the Harry Potter books with the newfound enthusiasm that we have. Uh, I, I I love I, I used to be the I used to be such a snob about Harry Potter references because I thought it was really uh, heteronormative white, like very straight Tumblr culture. Okay, yeah, fair. And then like like six months ago, I'd say all of this turbulence started to happen against what J.K. Rowling was saying. Yeah, in twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. It's a little cringe, for sure. Definitely a little cringe. But you, you know what I thought was very anti-cringe? I thought the way the community responded to it so powerfully. 
from what I saw, and it might be only a limited scope, I saw a lot of people come running to rebuke. I think ultimately, when you give mm-hmm. something to the fandom, if we're going to mm-hmm. talk nerd culture, which of which I am a very much a big part of my life, I think my entire life. Yeah, amazing. yeah. Please um, take the mic. I would say that I think every fandom has a right to claim ownership of the original material because it is ours. Mm-hmm. You gave it to us. So for our for the Harry Potter fandom to to reclaim you know such hateful remarks and ignorance from the creator and say no this is ours now I think that was such a powerful move um, mm. for the fandom to say no we are not going to be a hateful ignorant community we are going to welcome all walks of life here and I think that's a beautiful thing and I think it really shows the power of community and and resilience and and being open-minded and diverse um Mm. in 2020 i think i think society in and of itself has grown a lot um yeah as far as being forthcoming in in diversity Mm. yeah i think it's forced us to change a little bit i don't think we would have had as much happen, even though it's only scratching the surface. There's so much more that we need to take into account. Oh, for sure. What we've had so far seems as though it could not have happened in a vacuum on its own. What do you no. think about that? Meaning, like... How do you think the time we're in has helped a lot of people come to the confrontations of their uncomfortable stuff. What allowed them to grow? I think the vices that we use, I think we, we encounter it every day on social media. I think mm-hmm. in, in a certain lot of aspects, I think we come sort of a hive mind of, of awareness. Um, I know that the trends that I currently follow on social media, like the, the algorithms yeah. that are currently in my face are always going to be clear, colored, um, Mm -hmm. non-binary, where it kind of has opened up a portal. It's very accessible for kids, for youth today, to have that Mm. sort of algorithm shoved down their throats, to be honest. Um, And I think it brings forth a lot of conversation in the real world of how do we define gender? How do we define sexuality? How do we define being a person of color in today's age? How do we define these things? I think that um, being in 2020 and having these conversations, it's just the information is so much more accessible and you're allowed to educate yourself and bring forth, you know? It seems like such a radical departure from what I previously grew to know. How I was taught contained none of the information and the transformative potential that today's kids, a lot of them seem to be having. Oh yeah, I, I'm like if and thrilled by how open-minded these kids are. When I say kids, I'm thinking like 14 to 23. They have so much technology and access to just information, whether it's right, wrong, whatever. They have it. They see these waves of change, like the BLM movement. We mobilized, if you can imagine, an entire world in less than a week. Yeah. Because yeah. of how instantaneous our visibility is as a community, 
fighting for radical change. It was amazing. It was, it was, it was horrifying how much ugliness was brought to light, but it was also so gratifying to see how people responded immediately, instantaneously. Yeah. Um, it was beautiful. Hearing you share your thoughts about that, it, it honestly gives me a newfound sense of hope. I would say, I mean, Ooh, I, yeah, we, we, I think you and I being of similar political mindset, we see a mm. lot of ugliness because we see the problematic nature of a lot of things that people, that a lot of people don't really take the time to look at. Right. And I think it's nice to kind of take a step back and see how people who are maybe lesser educated Mm. in the ways of socialism or the ways of being politically aware have responded. You know, there's people rolling up in their, you know, they might be sage, but there's people rolling up in their wheelchairs saying, hey, I'm late to the party, but at least I took the time to read the invitation. Right. You know, people's minds are changing just because it's their lives are being affected. And I I wish that wasn't Mm. the trigger, but at least it's it's a change. It feels almost like a a sort of renaissance of cultural knowledge is taking place. I would say so. Now that all of this information is as accessible as it was, I look back at the person of my past and I go, wow, I really wish I was exposed to this and I was aware of this sooner on in my life. How much would be different if I had that opportunity? And now for kids that are very young, they're being able to get built up so strong and so whole and I feel so good about that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of education that a lot of kids are going to need to get to the level where they have the chance to be as free as that. And if that massive change of cultural knowledge is going on, what lessons would you want young people and young boys to pay more attention to? I think the biggest thing about reconciling with toxic masculinity Mm. is being able to feel emotions. And I don't mean that in the sense of, I think from a very young age, men of all color, men of all binary definition, expression, even as a young trans guy, I was told to not feel things because it wasn't manly. And I think it's really interesting to force that narrative on people who were made to feel things, were made to have experienced mm. emotions, were made, were built around a need to connect with people emotionally. Right. I think I would want younger men or mask folks um, to to know that it's okay to to feel things and to process things emotionally because that's the only way you mature is to experience things and to feel hurt and to feel sad and to show it and be vulnerable and to show humility. You don't always have to put up a front of just like strong masculinity. I think we should normalize it to be okay to be emotional. Like I've reconciled with my past self as a younger trans guy. I was very much a fuck boy. I (laughs) wanted to be like super masked and wanted to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to get all the girls tonight. I'm going to, you know, (laughs) let's go get that chick's number. I was a total douchebag. And me now as a gay trans man of color 
Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, girl, you watch that movie and you cry over that death because that you need to feel that thing, you know? Yeah. And it's more gratifying to me than to put up a front of being like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't feel anything. It's right. dumb. I'm going to be a man. And it's like, what is being a man, really? Because right. I'm more feminine as a man than I ever was as a girl. Yeah. And you know what? I'm totally Wait fine with that. Wait a minute. Could you say that one more time? That, that, that hit home so hard. That I'm more feminine as a man than I ever was as a girl? Yeah. Yeah. I like, the, I, I like letting myself like the color pink again. You know, for the longest time, I hated the color pink. You know, my parents... Right. Used, let's, let's examine that, right? My parents used to get me girly things because I was born a girl. Or I was born into a female body. And I would cry and I'd hate it because all the guys would think that pink was associated with weakness and like girly things were just bad because it meant that you were weak and that you weren't, you weren't able to do things. And so for the longest time I associated anything girly with like weakness and like, why is that? Wow. Why do we associate having female genitalia or being feminine as weak when really it can be the strongest you'll ever be? And you can just see the sexism so young, so bare. Oh, right. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing wrong with being feminine. There's nothing wrong with being women. And by women, I mean W-O-M-X-N. Yeah. For someone who might be listening right now who isn't aware what what that means, could you describe a little bit of that? Sure. So I try to use, or I try to use inclusive vocabulary. So women but not woman as in W-O-M-E-N, which is mm. sexist. I would use W-O-M-X-N the same way I would refer to Latinx mm. because we're trying to get away from using gender-specific vocabulary terms in cultural language. Mm. So women or folks or you know men i don't think there's actually a thing for men i think it's mxn if you'd have to or just i use folks just to refer to people in general but i try to use more inclusive terms in my my everyday vocabulary one of the things that as far as icons went things that iconic people did i remember so clearly when i first heard about when malcolm adopted that title specifically with the x in the application of the, the phonetic X replacement in women, do you feel like there is an element of resistance that exists in there as well? Resistance to like hetero- say, this, this heteronormative yes, culture? Bingo. I think so. I think that we're trying to redefine what it means to be a, a woman or a, tr- mm. a femme identified person. Mm. Um, I think we could just eradicate the terms, the binary terms fully. I mean, people, there's, you always play that weird game of wanting to respect someone's identity, but also being inclusive. Mm. You know, you're going to say woman, but maybe somebody doesn't want to be called a woman, but they still identify as a feminine person. So, and on some spectrum, you have to, relinquish the control you have over that term and just essentially respect the individual for who they are that's that that hits that hits different 
Yeah. Mm. I think that's a lot. I think we have those conversations on the daily in the trans community because I think there's a lot of turmoil. Because so transitioning into a male identified Mm -hmm. person as I am, I don't say that I'm a man anymore because that's not who I am. Right. Um, When you're younger and you're trying to masculinize yourself, I think there's a lot of trap holes that you can fall into as far as toxic masculinity. Oh, yes. You You have to be manly or you have to present masculine. You have to present fully, like you have to, like the trans ideal when I was 17, so back in 2007, Mm -hmm. was to be buff and have a beard and to be to like live up to the toxic ideal of being right. a cis man. Wow. And I think in the last decade and a half that I've since come out as a trans man, mm-hmm. um, we've redefined what it means to be trans masculine. Yeah. And I think that goes along hand in hand with being cishet or mm. cis normative. And we're yeah. chal- and in turn we are challenging right. the ideas to be a cis man instead of just saying man right you the visibility of that cis gender nature right and, and I, I guess the orientation yeah i think my question to you fits absolutely how does my how does my defining masculinity redefining how do how would that challenge you to examine your own upbringing as a cis person, a cis man. Right. That's how you identify. Yes. I have found more freedom in the past two years by exploring my femininity as well as my masculinity than the 17, 18 years of regular normative indoctrination I experienced as a young kid. And then I went to college and then I made a lot of mistakes and I learned a lot of lessons and I sort of started to figure it out. Around my junior year, I realized that I was queer, but I kept on to the cisgender idea. And a lot of those biases and privileges and prejudices that maintain and police and keep that uh, identity orderly and aware of, unaware of itself. I think that's huge. When I was young, I was completely unaware that normal was anything other than normal for me when it was actually deeply abnormal, strongly conditioned, and quite covert, almost even nefarious. I would say it's, I think being masculine in the cis-normative sense is the most oppressive thing you can do to yourself. Right. Oh my God, it wreaks havoc on your body. It wreaks havoc on your mental health, on your soul. Right. it does so much damage. I'm also would like to take the time to say that I'm super proud of you. Thank you. And like you so oh. you so good. Oh. <laughs> and so like you know, but it takes so much to even come to a point where you have to like reconciliation is never easy. It's you debilitating have to, and scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And most people just don't want to do it because they don't want to take a look in the mirror and they don't want to know that what their faults are. Right. Right. You say the word fault and people... They're like, I'm perfect. What do you mean? This is the way it is. It's the way it should be. This is how it's always been. And I'm like, honey, I changed my entire sex and gender. Yeah, right? What's your excuse? Yeah, well... (laughs)
Girl, I feel mm-hmm. I feel really strongly about this. I, I I've had this kind of philosophy. It's one of the only binaries that I believe in, but it's a good one. And okay. I'll, I'll, I promise. Shoot. There are the kind of people that spend that, that that have a point over the course of their life where they realize there's this person where they come into terms with who they are, good and bad, when when the epiphany of their identity forms. And from there, when they recognize their faults, when they recognize who they are, they spend the entirety from that moment on, from there to the end of their life, moving and adapting and growing with the flow of their change across their lifetime. There's that kind of person. Okay. Then there's the person who spends their entire life distracting themselves with materials, avoiding the confrontation of themselves, and establishing a persona that they wear above their identity. They never crack the surface to it, though, because they keep spending all of their time running from themselves. Yes. And the big point, the big factor there that splits one of these folks down this path is the answer that they give when their identity becomes presented to them. From whether it's their own conclusions, whether it's them finding that powerful, inspirational thing that catches them at first, it doesn't put them that way forever, but it gives them that first initial desire to change in the tune of the world around them. Oh, yeah, for sure. Reality on their terms. And then the dance starts. When life hands you its hand and asks you to dance with it, do you say yes or do you say no? True. Well, I would, I think you and I both are dancers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to, to be a trans or non-binary or non-conforming person in this country is, is, is one of the most beautiful dances of identity, I think, that can take place. For sure. I think that, I believe so to an extent. I think it's mm. more, mm. I think it's more, it ha- it's more of a climb rather than a dance. Right. Because I feel like we're shedding a lot of cis-heteronormative conditioning. Mm. You know, you never stop to consider if you are cis. You never stop to consider the full spectrum of gender. Right. And I think that being trans today in 2020 is Mm. more about finding a way forward. Right. I suppose I want to take a moment to note that I was incorrect in making it sound so grandiose. No. And I I hear what you're saying, and I I agree with you, and uh, I want to thank you for bringing attention to that. Sure. So being trans, I think there comes, and I don't speak for all, and this is a disclaimer for all Mm. my trans folks listening. (laughs) I'm just saying... I don't claim ownership on any of the terms. I don't claim ownership. The only thing I claim ownership is on my experience and my experience alone. And if you identify with it, cool. If you don't, 
that's also cool and I respect your journey as well it's my journey it's not anybody else's and I don't speak to the masses as if I am all-knowing um mm. just want to get that out of the way because don't at me <laughs> um for real for real okay you can add me instead yeah at fits don't at me <laughs> I'm too pretty for real for real so being trans is for me has always been about redefining everything that I know and putting that mm. into re- reality. Yeah. So like coming out as a guy was kind of shedding everything I was taught as a girl, which is honestly the amount of privilege. Let's talk about that. The mm. amount of privilege you get as a male identifying person is mm-hmm. so much more exponential in society as a whole than being female or femme identified or woman x you know it's it's just it's honestly makes me so sad those bastards it makes me so sad that men are treated let's put men as in mask mask, so Mm -hmm. the male community as a whole masculine community as a whole is treated so much better why do you think that is as though the answer weren't obvious i think it's just championing like just that age old centuries millennial old sexism at work mm, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like why why can't we chant like i think i want the woman to fucking dismantle the patriarchy yeah. i'm right there with you i want to break that door down and let it burn because it's unneeded can i ask you a quick follow-up from there yeah go ahead what does a dismantled patriarchy look like to you I could give you the flowery version and just say everybody's equal, but we all know that's not going to happen because people are (laughs) stupid and don't like to listen. (laughs) So I'm going to say that people have immense amount of respect for other people and take into consideration all walks of life and diversity. I'm saying I want people to just respect other people, like at the very baseline. Mm. Like that's all we're asking. It's just respect people. Is it too hard? Why is it so hard? Circle that back down to masculinity, like toxic masculinity. Mm. Why are boys taught to not feel things and always use their fists and fight? Right. They can't just talk about things. Why? Why can't you just talk about things and discuss things and digest them and process them as in a mature way? But no, we have to, we have to be strong and we have to beat each other up Mm. to prove we are the better person and it's just so dumb the language of communication is something that we were never taught that's a language we never learned in school well let's let's normalize that let's push to normalize that right I love that. I love that. That sounds, that already sounds like a dismantled patriarchy to me. Exactly. Let's normalize. That's what we started this conversation off with. Normalize having emotion. Normalize. Right. Right. You were probably, as a child, and I'm making assumptions and I'm speaking to your experience. Fire away. But I'm assuming that you were never taught to process things in a way that was beneficial for both you and the other person it was more i knew it need to assert my dominance in this situation so therefore i can get over it and forget about it if there was any uh, ever challenge when i was young if anyone ever challenged my thoughts or my reasoning or what i was doing i would get so petty and so defensive and well no i'm right obviously and you're terrible for suggesting i'm not and a lot of that was weaponizing privilege Mm -hmm. honestly yes 
a lot of a lot of white boys learn how to be assholes and get away with it which a lot of the time requires a, a very weaponized heterosexual privilege, which is it dehumanizes the men that do it and it deeply dehumanizes its targets. That's one of the things that I ended up implicitly learning. How did you feel when you unlearned that behavior and when you took a step back as, a, as an adult? How did you feel when you took a step back and you said, wait, I don't have to weaponize my... my fragile masculinity i had a crisis of identity go on i because my ego based so much of itself upon the idea of supremacy of being the best of what i was wherever i was i could say that i was like starting to get with it at the age of 15 i was making when i was on that path i gain so much of a sense of self only on whether or not I was better at someone or worse than that than someone at something. And because of that, my ego started to work overtime to puff out its chest and to just be, there's this feeling that you would get when you felt affirmed in your supremacy and when i was affirmed in my supremacy based from my ego and an ugly part of me started to depend on that to feel what what we would call mental stability Hmm. so letting go of the thing that was fighting to for gold letting go of that ego caused this whole foundation collapse of who I had built myself up from because of the way I was conditioned as a cishet man. That fed my ego to the point of being belligerent. It fueled my ego to the point of weaponizing privilege. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot to answer for at that it's not like I was a particularly bad guy, but to engage in privileged white person stuff causes people to do horrible things over the course of their life. I would say, yeah, it's, it's but honestly, the fact that you're, you're still, you, if may, if I may speak it, uh, to sure. your experience, um, you're, you're in a process of reconciling your, your past. Right. And how does that feel? Yeah. Some people that I look very much up to that have gone through the process of changing themselves have described it as a surgery where your flesh gets cut and sliced and things get twisted and rearranged and gouged away from. And you're, you, the part of that healing doesn't feel good. And eventually after that after those things are dug away from. This is going to be really weird, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a bisexual, non-binary man, and I'm about to reference the Bible real quick. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ, you know, the, the brown man, he references this idea of sins in our lives acting like limbs. And he says to us, you need to cut those limbs off. 
when I first read that, I was like, holy moly, that's it. He's advocating for amputation. What's going on? But when those comfortable acts of colonizing space, uh-huh. of imposing myself upon other people, when those actions become normal, when I do them enough times, when they are a part of my routine long enough for me to not recognize their problematic nature, they morph into my body. They become regular enough to feel like limbs, limbs of my body that I that are part of my functioning self. So you if, take so you take that verse and you kind of personify it as stages of growth. Right. And transformation. It's trans it's a transformative state of mind. And it's deeply uncomfortable. Oh, always. Always. And it's supposed to be like that. I would say so. If it's not uncomfortable, it's not worse. I mean, I would say to the point of growth, not the point of right. being uncomfortable in social situations or consent. But like... There was a piece that I described that I, that I named a comfortable evil. Acts of cruelty that have become normalized in our spaces, our states, our towns, our countries over the years. It's an evil that feels comfortable. And in order to change it, it needs to be confronted. And that's the kind of uncomfortable that I feel like we're looking for. That which confronts which is comfortable and wrong. Yes. Yes, exactly. I think that's, that's exactly what we're doing now as a society. Right. And right. I want this to happen. I want us to confront everything, the uncomfortable, ugly, wrong that we're doing. I, I was having a conversation with my buddy the other day. Mm-hmm. He was sitting on the couch. He was scrolling through his phone. And he was saying, he was reading a meme. And he was like, ah, mm-hmm. da, da, da. if you can't be so-and-so, then you must be on uh, estrogen pills. And he started laughing. And I said, what? Mm-hmm. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not okay. And he yeah. just, he's just like, what do you mean that's not okay? I'm like, first of all, you're saying that being a woman is bad. Right. Or feminine identifying. Right. Second of all, you're being transphobic because a lot of trans women are on estrogen pills, if not yeah. those who choose to be on. So that's strike two. Right. Third, sexism. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm going to be that person Yes. To call you out on being dumb. And those people, we need to pull them over on the side of the street, look them dead in the eyes, salute them and say, thank you for your service. Take that same energy that we get for like, for like people who come back from like desert storm or something. Which are, our communities treat them as heroes. For the people that are calling other folks out on their bullshit, let's treat them like heroes because that's hard work. I can't, I mean, I, like, I, I am flattered by the sentiment, but also yeah. I think that we should also normalize this. Ooh, we're going to yes, use that. We're yes. going to use that word a lot here in this discussion. Normalize. Thank you. Thank you. That, that brings me back to home base. I was getting a little bit out there, but you brought me back normalizing is the goal no sensationalism no no superman theme track music necessary because we're not doing it for the applause which i mean i completely appreciate and your appreciation however we 
my sister, for example, she is, right. I love the way that she's raising her two boys. Mm. You know, um, I'm not going to name them for their privacy, but my nephews, the younger one loves, has loved feminine identifying playthings like you know, mermaid tales or you know, stuff that traditional parenting would probably frown upon because it's not for little right. boys. Not something that young Fitzgerald would have ever played with. Right. That would never been okay for him to play with. Mm. However, my sister is just like, yeah, you, we can paint your toenails tonight. That's fine. That. Or you can get a mermaid tail. And yeah, you can be a mermaid today. That's totally fine too. And if you want long hair, that's cool too. And no, it doesn't make him a girl. It doesn't make him strange or queer or it doesn't force any identity on him. She's just simply letting him explore possibility. Right. And she's doing that because she doesn't want them to grow up to be assholes. Yes. (laughs) It's that easy. It is that easy. Just normalize it. Just be like, okay, you want your nails painted? Go right ahead. Go for it. I, 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 yeah. How much less painful is it for an adult to have that openness and normalization mm. as a child to like walk through this world and be like, okay, you know what? Cool. Men can wear dresses and women can wear suits. And it's not even that black and white. It's sometimes people want to identify on certain ends of the femme and mask spectrum and that's okay. Right. And it's none of your business and it's not, doesn't have anything to do with you. Right. I don't know why people constantly make what's between my legs their business, but I've gotten a lot of that. It's I I I get upset over how obsessed people get with it. I I wish we could normalize the context of let's talk about gender roles, let's talk about how we dissolve them, let's talk about how we raise young folks and folks coming into the spectrum. Let's talk to them about how to dissolve those boundaries and those restrictions and those those really oppressive bodies that pushed us into this corner in the first place well i think that we dissolve it by just being educational and Mm. being more visible i think visibility has a lot to do with it Um, like that could you tell me more i would even say the trans community has done a lot for visibility i think that we may may not be able to champion my community because i think there's a lot of problems in it i think it's very Mm. problematic however i think just being visible as a trans person i know personally people have come to me and said had Mm. i not met you i would not have known what it is to like to know a trans person even or to be trans or to know the definition of defining what is on a gender spectrum yeah you know you can be trans and totally want to be binary and that's okay that's totally fine there's nothing bad about that as long as you're not toxic about it and i think that visibility as far as having feminine masculine people say who are identify as cis and it's okay to be both feminine and masculine or have feminine aspects to your life and masculine aspects to your life i think we need to let those people be visible for younger kids or the younger generations to come to know that it's okay i had a co-worker come up to me and we got in a discussion with being trans and they grew up in cambodia Mm -hmm. and i brought up to like oh so it's like so how does asian culture how does asian culture view um being trans and they said it's okay we're like 
it's totally fine. We have lady boys walking down the street, which is totally problematic. But like, right. let's get to the point where she goes. It's fine because the point of our conversation was she was undeterred by the fact that trans people existed because it's so yes. normal in their society and that it's just like common for them to see yeah. it. Dismissing all of the problematic, you know, connotations and classes situations that they face. But right. nonetheless, she said that they're so used to it. It's a, just a part of their culture. Right. So why can't that be the same here in Western culture? Why can't... Right. I think we're on well on our way. I it think, feels like so hard a task for so many different reasons. Is it though? Is it really? Here's where I'll, here's where I'll say the biggest difficulty exists. It's, there are so many institutions that normalize systemic violence against people that deserve to live in peace. Oh, absolutely. And that is the biggest, excuse me, I apologize. I want to say from my perspective as an observer, from someone who's very gently dipping their toes into what it means to be Mm non-binary, I see the violence that is getting inflicted to the trans community as one of the biggest threats. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have any corrections? Yes, I do think that there is like an insurmountable violence against trans people of color. Yes. Especially, highlight especially black Mm -hmm. trans people, black trans lives. Yes. Um, It's, and it's, it's, it's such, such a long battle against systemic oppression in all shapes and form but really it comes down to that rotting underbelly of racism and sexism that's really the root of of violence against the trans community especially the black or colored trans community right and it is an insurmountable task and it it, it is such a heavy burden to bear but i think that if we continue to educate and bring to light the struggle, as we say in, in our political social circles, oh, an injury mm. to one is an injury to all. Right. So right. If, if we stand with each other in solidarity and continue to educate and continue to protect each other, I don't think that it's, it's going to be as hard as a task as it is, as it would have been 20 years ago. That... We see change, mm. you know? We have the technology and we have the access to to community. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's going to be a long road, but I remain hopeful. I mean, obviously, I just, I can't speak to their experiences directly because I grew up in a very privileged situation where I had immediate acceptance on a lot of fronts, Right. Um, especially being in Massachusetts. Um, Hello, we're very progressive here in a lot of ways where other places yeah. are disadvantages but I think that I would like to stand here in solidarity and fight the good fight for more progress mm. from my point of privilege from what I'm able to do I want to go back to one of the first questions that we talked about sure with what we've talked about just now in terms of 
surviving, dealing with, and moving past changing the violence occurring to trans folks. I'm going to ask that question of if there's anything that you could make, any educational piece that you could bring to a child and say, let's pay attention to this. Does that answer change when we think about the ways that violence propagates, or does your answer remain the same? I think my answer remains the same, and it's interesting that you bring up the form of education to a young child. I think I would go so far back as to maybe present this piece of education media. I would, I'm thinking media. My mind immediately goes to media. Right. I would honestly love to sit down with, say, a group of 14-year-olds. Yeah. And show them. I would consider that very young, very uh, formative. Uh, right. I would love to sit down and have them watch Paris is Burning. Mm. I love that movie. Yeah. Totally plugging it. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's <laughs> so good. It, it encapsulates the lives of disadvantaged Black and Latino, Latinx people in New York City who attend drag balls. It's, it's drag mm. community. It hits on being non-binary, it hits on being trans in the 1980s during the, mm. the HIV pandemic. It, oh, wow. It hits on ball culture. You get like, yeah, you know, classism. It hits on what it means to be poor and disadvantaged and colored and how right. these people live. It hits on a lot of things that we're, you are combating today to make better mm. and strive to be better. And now these things, and it's so fun. If you see the roots of what these people went through being trans colored and right. disadvantaged and oppressed in New York city in the 1980s, you're going to see the very same things that they were oppressed for being celebrated today. Ooh. So like, it's a little history lesson. It's yeah. a little bit of queer. It's a little bit of queer history. I'm all about queer history. Mm. I even have it tattooed on my neck, but that's awesome. Yeah. I have, I have Paris is burning and a fan, which signifies like um, the drag culture. Yeah. Obsessed with, but um, it's wow. just drag culture in and of itself challenges gender binary. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about like how threatening it is to toxic masculinity when a man mm. dresses up as a woman how threatening is that <laughs> you know when you get like a cishet guy who has no idea about queer culture and he's like oh why would you do that that's stupid <laughs> and this person drag started out as a fuck you to fucking toxic masculinity mm. that's what drag culture is i mean to the <sighs> From my own definition, not yeah. anybody else's, but I think it's a giant fuck you to oppressive toxic masculinity culture because mm. these are literally men dressing up as feminine Amazons. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just poking fun at everything. Oh. Wow. It's a caricature of how stupid and ridiculous cis heteronormative culture can be. And I love it. It's the most rebellious thing you can do. It's just tuck your penis between your legs and say you're a woman. <laughs> I love it. Like, yeah, girl, do it. Do the thing. And you know what? And revel in it and be fabulous and be fierce and be mm. amazing and get paid for it. Like, 
Mm. Not that money means anything, but you know, it's nice to have sometimes in this weird capitalist society we live in. Definitely nice to be able to make a little bread while dismantling the oppressive systems that be. Exactly. So why not Hell make some yeah. bread while you're dismantling the patriarchy with Hell a fucking yeah. fan and a gown on? Come on. <laughs> That's what do you the biggest... think about toxic masculinity is, is so horrified by that? Oh, there's so much. There's so mm-hmm. much. I think, I think a big part of my horror and dismay is like the rape culture that comes hand in hand with toxic masculinity. Right. Yes. As a person with a vagina, I think it's horrifying how much cis heteronormative people are pushed mm-hmm. to assert their sexual dominance in situations right. where it's not consented to. Right, 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 right. Like, why is it so hard to? I'm clapping right now. Why yes, is it are. so hard to respect someone else's body with consent? Why do you have to grab that woman's butt? She didn't ask you to. Why do you? What? What gives you the right to look at someone's breasts? They're not your breasts to look at. Right. Like you know, it just blows my mind that people think that it's okay to claim ownership on bodies that are not theirs. Right. And it's so twisted how intertwined with the typical masculine tropes that is. It's disgusting how normalized that aspect is for men. Right. Yeah, and it's like encouraged. That's what toxic yeah. masculinity is. It's encouraged. Yeah. It's like, yo, bro, like let's go like uh, I don't I don't care, just do her while she's like passed out or something. Like mm. it's so like wrong. <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Right. Why is that normal? I'm, I'm trying to get to the pathology of, of where that comes from because it is so depraved. It is so... Ugh. It is just the insecurity of being less than. It all comes down to being insecure of self because you have to assert your dominance over something in order to feel good. Yes. Yes. Validation does not exist for men. Under that toxic piece, acts of violence reinforce that twisted perspective of being valid. If I can dominate you, then I'm right. If I can't dominate you, then I'm just stupid and I like right. Right. Yes. And there is so much to unpack behind that one. And the obsession that men have, the obsession that the concept of men have with that dominant control, mm-hmm. what happens if that dies? What happens if that goes out of the picture? Well, if that happens, maybe we would have less rapes. Yeah. Maybe we'd have less violation of other people's bodies and less violence against people. Yeah. It's not realistic to expect that there will never be evil in this world. But I think that we are right and able to ask the world to be better for us to live in. Yeah. We can't yeah. stop people and we can't stop stupid. But we can at least, like, I've been told that, like, why, why do you care so much about these things? Why do you care about these issues? Why do you take the time to do what you do? Right. It's because I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm asking life to be better than what it is because I'm not happy with how it is and how people are being treated. I have right. every right to say that. And we as a society has every right to say that. We should say something. 
Mm. Why not? Yeah. Why not at this point? Silence is is complicit violence. Mm. Silence mm. is violence. Is there a way that a man can healthily contribute to the end of that? Is there any advice that comes to mind for uh, a young man or, or a woman that is curious, wants to end that, and what do they do? Take time to educate yourself on things that you don't know and don't be afraid to ask questions with an open mind. Um, I would say, as always, I've never been one to, uh, speaking from my own experience, when I've had to educate people on my, you know, my gender fluidity and my trans mm. journey, I never get angry about people who want to ask questions, even if it isn't in the most respectful, politically correct way. I always try to put forth the best example of myself because I want them to walk away with, with the experience of having an educational positive experience rather than me just getting angry and calling them out on their bullshit like they nobody right. learns from that you can get right. angry in the right situations but no one is going to learn unless you have a positive experience and i'm not saying coddle people right like call them out and be like okay so that was wrong but also let me inform you that maybe this x y and z is right for you to broaden your horizon Mm. And feel free to ask me anymore. Some people aren't like that. Some trans people don't want to be the welcome wagon, and I totally respect that. It's right. awful tiring sometimes. But I would say, personally, I've tried to educate people in the most positive experience possible to provide the most positive experience possible mm. without putting bows and ribbons on the oppression that my community faces every day. You just have to open right. the discussion and encourage people to discuss things. Mm. I love that. Thank you. I think we have time for at least one more question from me, and then I want to save some time for any questions that you want to ask me. Sure. Yeah, let's because do it. Those are great. My last question that I want to ask you is, what does it feel like to interact with the masculinity that you have? Internally? Mm-hmm. Like how I present mask to how I present mask and, and express it? It could be the performance of the masculinity. It could be the just being with the masculinity. <sighs> I'm at constant war yeah. with my masculinity because I think that a lot of masculinity is built on toxic traits and I don't right. want to express that. But also I do like, aesthetically, I like presenting as a mask. I do like my secondary, my, I do like my masculine secondary cat characteristics, my lowered voice, my, my chin hairs, yeah. my, you know, just, um, just certain things like that. Um, I think I'm constantly striving to be at peace with holding privilege over feminine identified people and reconciling the fact that that's not a choice that I have and that I must constantly fight to bring myself down a couple notches. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's okay yeah. to be masculine, but also recognize that masculine comes with an inherent privilege to be right. seen as better. I get more respect when I walk into a grocery store than a woman ever will. Right. And it's, it's weird to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And it's just as long as we have to recognize and battle it. So I guess that I'm on constant war 
with my masculinity. Mm-hmm. I like certain aspects of it, but honestly, I'm finding more joy in exploring my femininity than I ever have in 30 years on this planet. Yeah, yeah. And being masculine isn't bad. I mean, God, mm-hmm. I only like I'm. I really like boys, so like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I love it. <laughs> I like a big burly man, you know. Yeah. I have a good beard and a jawline, but like, <laughs> whatever. You know, right. it's just secondary sex characteristics. It means it means nothing unless you make something of it. Right. I love so much the way that you're able to find this this new liberated femininity in your in the identity you're currently exploring. Absolutely. I think for a long time I wasn't allowed to be feminine because I always thought that being masculine meant more, to be better, right. to be more. And really, I mean, I don't regret my transition. And I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't take back what I present as at first impression, because that's ultimately mm-hmm. who I want to be and who I am. But I yeah. do want to make peace with my past feminine self and say, hey, you know what? You can eat at the table too, and you deserve everything that is being served here. Wow. I love that. That's such a beautiful metaphor. Thank you. I just love our discussion. I think that we... We have some good rapport, yeah. and I'm very much yeah. Involved. Yes, says, I feel so full. My heart is so full. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Were there any thoughts that you wanted to ask me? Yes, absolutely. Of course, ever curious. Oh, yeah. So, firstly, I want to apologize for assuming your your gender identity. Oh no worries. Don't you worry about it, girl. Yeah. Also, I'm like, I also want to, how do you express your non-binary? How do you express your gender identity? How do you live? How do you, how do you find joy? What is your civil linings in that now that you come at peace with who you are as a person? Well, for me, I, uh, building off of what I said about finding a lot of freedom in traits and aspects that one would call feminine uh, I, I I have this point in my life where I bulldozed my masculinity I rejected all of it outright mm-hmm. and I felt very empty from it mm. and in that time I was very confused and I was full of I was I was hurting I was hurting when the thing that changed it all for me was being able to celebrate this newfound complexity. I did not feel like the person that I was able to be when I freely let myself sink. Mm-hmm. I, I needed to find something that allowed me to be more than what is expected of a man. I needed a place to be able to be a caretaker. I needed a place to be able to be emotionally nourishing. I needed a place for gentleness, as well as consistency and resilience and dedication. I love that. I want to take aspects that are good, that are healed, that are on the right path from both of those identities. And I really feel like if I, I'm just trying to be the, literally the best person I can be. 
yeah, I think that's what we should all strive for. I think ultimately that's all what we want at the end of the day. Mm. I feel I like mean, I couldn't be, I feel like I couldn't be like that if I didn't, if I wasn't gender fluid. That's an interesting perspective because I think that we strive to, as both non-binary identified people on the, mm. on the gender spectrum, I think that we constantly strive for a harmonized balance between mm. our two you know, extremes. Yeah. And I think a lot of cis people are just so comfortable in sitting at the one extreme and never moving. Right. And it makes me sad. I don't pity them because that's their choice and whatever right. is valid, but it's, it's, I would, I would view it ultimately as toxic to yourself because you're right. not letting yourself, you know, I have, I've dated men who have such a mm-hmm. huge problem with being vulnerable. Right. Right. Classic. And it's just like, what, there's nothing wrong with that. You have to literally, yeah. I have to literally like cup their face and be like, there is nothing wrong with being vulnerable. There's, right. nothing, there's nothing wrong with feeling this. And like, why are mm. you so scared to feel things? It's okay. Like pro- yeah. I'm providing you a safe space to feel vulnerable. Right. And they're so blown and away. They're like, oh my God, I can be vulnerable. Yeah. I don't have to put up a front of being super masculine. Oh my God. Mm. Right. The... The front mm. was how I spent a lot of my time. And it's exhausting. It's so exhausting. You put so much energy into that bullshit. Right. Because I felt on a second-by-second basis the existential need to be impressive. Ooh, that's, that's if you want to sum up being white and cishet, that's, yep. that's yep. it. That's it that's right there. It. That's it. That's, yeah, that's all he wrote. Yikes. Yeah. This yeah. constant need to be impressive and to be impressive and to, to be impressed. Boy, is it good to not have that right Oh, now. my God. Shed that. Drop that baggage off. Ugh. Ugh. 50 pounds lighter after I let go of that one. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Finger snaps. Hey! I love the aspects of myself that are masculine. I mm-hmm. love the aspects of myself that are feminine. Totally valid. I love holding both at the same time. I think that's what we're built on. Like, think about right. it. Right. Think about it. You know, like what you were saying, so many people are just leaning over to one side so hard. They're so lopsided in their day-to-day life. They must have back pain. Like, I can't imagine being hunched over on that path all the time. Yeah. Ugh. It's just so bad. And it's like, it's, yeah. it's not necessary. Hello, this is 2020. We're not... Right. And they're the same kind of people whose bodies could be literally falling apart from stress knots and ulcers. And someone could go up to them and be like, hey, uh, if you did a little yoga, all of this would be gone. But I don't want to learn yoga. I think yoga's dumb. Yeah, exactly. Because it's more important for a toxic man to preserve their ego than to take care of their body. Gotta reconcile. Yeah. It's all about self-examination and self-awareness. It's a lot of things that a lot of people just don't want to do the work. But yeah. if we it's provide... A conversation. It's a conversation that a lot of people aren't ready to have yet. But, if a lot of, but I'm seeing a lot of people feel more comfortable because we're foraging mm. a path. We're, we're, yeah. bleak, we're kind of like swathing a path open for people to be like, hey, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to yeah. be feminine. It's okay to wear heels but still have a 10-inch beard. And fucking just do the damn thing and just be happy with it as long as you're not hurting anybody else do the damn thing 
do the damn thing. I love that. So, wow. I feel lighter for that. I want to thank you so much for making it all the way through this episode of Deconstruct. I hope you feel better informed about what being a man, as well as being a trans man, is like. I hope you're ready to go out there and have some conversations with the folks you know. We want to hear from you at Deconstruct. Have any story ideas? Know any people you'd like to hear speak on the show? Want to say something about an episode you really liked? Let us know! Send us a DM to Deconstruct on the social media site of your choice, or send us an email at deconstructpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. As I often say, conversations are some of the most powerful things we can have as humans. A good conversation goes a long way. Can you think of people in your life who would resonate with Deconstruct? Try to think of at least three folks and have a conversation with them. You can follow us on our social media, our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find everything under the sun on our site. The link is in the description of the video. That's all we have for today. I want to thank you again. Stay cool, stay sharp, and stay beautiful out there. Until the next time we get together, I wish you peace, joy, safety, and health. My name is Fitzgerald Pucci, and this is Deconstruct. Deconstruct.